you like Grant Fisher, I told him I'd give this shout out, but he just came out with a new podcast called The Half Step Pod. He's doing it with a former teammate of his, Connor Lane, and a really good listen behind the scenes action of what it's like to be a professional. back to the Half Step Pod. I am your host, Connor Lane, across from me, Grant Fisher, and that new intro, courtesy of Kyle Merber at the Sound Running Invitational Saturday Night. Thank you for that little shout out. It's a perfect little intro segue, actually, Grant. I was excited to hear that on the broadcast, and then I was much more excited to watch you run 1302 for the 5K, a U.S. number one in 2021, a world number one, and obviously, the race win. Grant, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Um, yeah, just coming off the high of the weekend, feeling great. Um, yeah, kind of kind of to, to touch on what you mentioned about uh, Kyle shouting us out. Really appreciate that um, and really appreciate Sound Running for putting on that whole event. Um, it's a, a lot more complicated to put, put on a meet right now than people realize and those guys did a great job. So um, definitely shout out to everyone over there. Really, really happy. Without further ado, we should probably dive into this race this past weekend back at the Sound Running Meet, uh, back in Orange County. Uh, I guess it's a disclosed location because if you go on the World Athletics, it's at J. Sarah Catholic High School. Is that correct? <laughs> I, I'm, not, no, I'm not trying to get you here. This is the last one. Though, I, so I can't say gonna... anything about where it was. If, if that's on the World Athletics <laughs> site, then you know, that's, that's their doing, but I, I, I will... <laughs> the uh, well, the World Athletics site is not exactly uh, error-free, as we saw. Uh, you, you great, great user tip uh, from the community that your 10K from a couple weeks ago, 2711, is actually attributed to Grant Fisher, the guy who ran <laughs> at Colorado State and has a C in his last name instead of Grant Fisher, no C. Uh, we have to. We, we're just gonna throw out like what he must be paying Wada and the World Athletics for <laughs> for that kind of deal, because. I don't know. Are you are you nervous that your 10K won't mm. count? Have we have we gotten that far? Are you is that a fear for you? Um, I wouldn't say it's too much of a fear. Uh, I I like Grant. You know, um, we would race a bit in college, and uh, yeah, I always I always said that he was the original Grant Fisher, and I'm I'm just the the copy. You know, 2.0. Um, yeah, 2.0. So yeah, he's got a C in his last name, so sometimes I call him Big C. Uh, but mm. great guy. Um, but yeah, if it if it does turn into an issue, I'm gonna want that PR on my name. If we get if, if we uh, get to the trials and they're like, yeah, you don't have a seed time. Yeah, <laughs> it's like no, no, no. Like, I promise, I promise, I ran a ten. I, I can show you tweets. People tweeted about it. There, they spelled it correct. I, I I feel like we'll get it sorted out. I'm sure it's something that someone up there can. I have no idea how this website works. I was looking through it. It says your 5K, your result score was 1,200 points. And then your 10K, you got you got 1,208 points. And I know they updated the uh, system, so now there's a thing with points and world rankings. I have no idea what it is. Do you have any idea what that means? And I mean, congrats first of all on on the points. <laughs> yeah, thank but you. does that does that mean anything to you? Um, you know, before this weekend, it did mean uh, a bit to me, just because that's one of the ways to be eligible to make a team. Okay. Uh, you either have the standard or you have the points. And um, at that time, I didn't have the standard technically, so. Um, I, I was looking at those points. Uh, yeah, essentially you have a, a set amount of points based on the time you ran. 
and then you can get extra points tacked onto that based on how competitive the meet was. So if it was like, uh, if you ran 1330 at the Olympic final or the world championship final, you get more points for that than running 1330 in a time trial just by yourself. Okay. Um, so yeah, before the points, you know, I was looking at them, but now I have the standard, so don't have to worry about that. Yeah. Just focusing on qualifying through the normal way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, without further ado, I know I just said that, but we're actually going to jump in now. Uh, 1302, uh, 55.3 last 400, which is good. So what's been feeling different in the last couple of weeks, man? Has anything, I, we started this pod, uh, you know, obviously you just run the 10K, 2711. We see 1302. You've been having really good results for a lot of years. You know, you won in CAs. You obviously had a successful collegiate career, successful high school career. This recently has been on a different level from all of that stuff, right? The numbers that are now next to your name with PRs are different. What is what has been different the last couple of weeks? Has anything felt different? You know, honestly, things haven't felt that different than any other racing block that I've done, um, whether that's in college or as a pro, um, which is kind of surprising. Think, you know, I'm I'm definitely running faster than I ever have, and I'm more comfortable at faster paces than I ever have. Um, but you know, the day to day, the the workouts and stuff, it feels quite similar to how it always does. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've, I've run my personal best in three different events in the past month, um, which is really, really cool and, uh, really cool to look back on, but I wouldn't say that anything feels like drastically different. Um, even pre-meet the day before we went to, uh, another undisclosed high school in the uh, Orange County area and did our pre-meet and, you know, we were warming up and, I felt flat. I did not feel good. Um, and I was talking to some of the other guys and they also didn't feel very good. Um, and I think the longer you do this thing, you start to realize like, it doesn't really matter how you feel on pre-meet. It, it you know, sometimes you just like got to get out there and race and, um, you get out there and, and start running and it starts to feel better. Um, and you can really psych yourself out. I, uh, if you pay too much attention to how you're feeling like leading up to the race. Um, I've had some of my best races where I feel like kind of sluggish the day before, like a little tired. Um, a, a great example of this is Woody when he ran sub 13 in 2019. I, I wasn't there, but apparently Woody was not feeling great on the warm up before the race. And was talking to Jerry potentially about not doing the race. Wow. And, and Jerry convinced him to do it. And obviously that was the right decision because he crushed <laughs> yeah. it, you know? Um, yeah. So I wouldn't say things have been feeling crazy different. I definitely feel fit. Um, and having two races under my belt, I think was just a natural sharpener, uh, to get ready for this one. Um, but yeah, it, it feels like we went through a training block and have just finished up a nice racing block. Um, and that I'm, uh, in a better place than I ever have been. And that's a great time to feel that way, you know, going into the trials. Um, so got a couple more months to, to hopefully build a little more fitness, but uh, I'm, I'm really happy with, with how things went. It's a great spot to be in. I think that that's, that's super important. I feel similarly where a lot of my best races have come from a similar spot where you're not necessarily feeling good or thinking, oh man, I'm, I'm in perfect shape. I think there's always going to be something coming up. And the more I've been involved in the sport, the more I've realized, similar to what you said, 
if you get the training underneath you and you're you're a dude who's like done this amount of work or or whatever it is i feel like the deviation for your race performance like on a feeling great versus feeling poor day is really tight you know like you feel great you might run a second or two faster you feel poorly you might be back a little bit like in a 5k or something but once you have that work on your legs unless you're feeling truly awful I, i feel like you know for a lot of you guys or I know for myself, it almost doesn't matter how much you, you feel bad unless you are really feeling bad and are actually sick or going through something where you're, you're probably going to be able to get pretty close to what you're capable of as long as you, you know, I mean, there are certain feeling bads that are not ideal, right? Like getting like a cramp mid-race or type, that, that type of thing. But if you're just feeling a little flat or sluggish, I feel like that's totally normal, especially with the training that you have to do at that top end. Um, and you, you want to feel really good, but realistically it's rare that you're actually going to feel really good right yeah totally um i forget who had told me this but someone had told me once that if you uh if you feel really good on the warm-up or the day before that means you haven't been training hard enough (laughs) (laughs) so um you're screwed just so everyone knows if you feel good (laughs) you feel good before a race don't let that go to your head it's it's awful (laughs) no i mean probably something in the middle right (laughs) no i i usually pull that out when i'm feeling flat or bad and then just totally ignore that that advice (laughs) and and write it off when i feel good (laughs) exactly because when you feel good like you don't need to you don't need to clarify anything to yourself you don't need to convince yourself of anything so you can be like oh yeah that's that's dumb advice but yeah when you're feeling poor it's always like okay i mean also it helps i feel like you know for you moving forward or for me when you've done that when you've raced well off of feeling kind of flat or feeling sluggish it's way easier to look back the next time and be like hey i ran my pr and i felt like this so I'm comfortable in this space, you know? I'm, I'm okay here. I'm not dying to, to feel good or else it's going to be a bad performance. I can still give it, you know, a good effort and have a good result. Totally. But getting, but getting back to this race specifically, right? Uh, obviously, podcast episode drops on Friday. Race Saturday. I'm not going to draw a, a line between the two, but at the same time, how much of this is the podcast bump? Is it, is it 80%? <laughs> is, it, is it 50 Where? <laughs> um. I don't know. It, it's a tough one to estimate. I'd say maybe like 31% podcast. Um, I like that. The rest, the rest me. Um, well, you know what that leaves. But, <laughs> yeah, no. Um, yeah, man. Pretty pretty cool timing. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a cool thing going forward. Um, I know we'll have like a little, little different of content to talk about each week just because uh, these first two have been coming off of, of races. But, you know, I'm not going to be racing every week, so... The structure will change a little bit. We'll have slightly different content, but um, for now, we uh, we've got some good stuff to talk about. Yeah, no, and let, and let's talk about it. So getting getting down there into pre meet day before you're feeling sluggish, what, warm up going into the race itself. What's what's running through your mind? Uh, we talked a little bit. The standard, the goal was always to try to get that Olympic standard right, which is what again? Thirteen thirteen point five. Yeah, so it was being paced at I think thirteen ten ish right yeah just about just about yeah yeah so that's kind of like the plan a going into the race i guess talk me through like that warm-up day of getting on the start line uh getting out just that kind of beginning phase of it right yeah um so so to start at the day before uh we did our pre-meet yeah it didn't feel great on the warm-up but started to feel a little more pop uh as i did some strides and stuff and um yeah woke up the next day Burnt a lot of time, did our little shakeout, burnt some more time. What and, are you doing? What uh, are you doing in like the hotel? Are you just chilling? What's what, <laughs> yeah, scrolling? 
honestly, as like as a pro, I've learned like like how to do nothing, you know, if that makes sense. You know, you don't want to be so hyper focused on the race leading up to it when the race is at 830 p.m. You can just wear yourself out and you also don't want to be too just too out of it too like doing others doing stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, So you got to find a balance like. I was watching some TV with Kieran, uh, just just hanging out, chatting. Uh, we were able to sit by the pool and have takeout breakfast, which was super nice. Like, just kind of be relaxed, knowing that the work is done. You know, there's you're not getting any more fit. Uh, you know, on race day, all you can do is kind of a like soak up as much energy as you can, if that makes sense, by doing nothing, taking a nap. Uh, and then wake yourself up with a little shakeout and then, and then start to get dialed in a little bit. Um, maybe like, I like to do a little bit of pre-race visualization before and, um, before leaving the hotel and go through my routine of packing my bag and making sure everything's in there. Um, make sure I didn't forget anything crucial. Um, Always important. and then, yeah. And then head over the track. Um, actually felt quite good on warm up. Um, so this would be an example <laughs> of where. <laughs> where I take the like, if you feel good on warm up, that means you're not training hard enough. Advice and throw it out the window. Completely gone. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, felt really good on warm up. Felt really poppy on the strides, and um, yeah, before you know it, honestly, you're on the line. Yeah. Uh, like, if you've ever been in sometimes high pressure situations or high pressure anything uh, or things you're really looking forward to the moments before kind of blur together, then all of a sudden you just have to do it. Um, and yeah, guns goes off and we wanted to get out in a good spot. Um, cause we knew Kieran and, and Woody were going to rabbit it pretty, pretty aggressively. So didn't want to be caught too far in the back and, um, found a nice spot mid pack. Uh, and I, I was happy with it and didn't feel the need to move around too much. And I, I think the whole field kind of understood that as well. Just get on the rail, don't fight people and let's try to run fast. Yeah, it definitely seemed like people were kind of, well, not jostling that much, working together. Uh, I know, I saw, I remember Ollie Hoare was running like on lane two for a little bit in the middle there, but for the most part, people were going single file. It was moving really well. I gotta say, watching it, like obviously y'all are really good runners. It still looked like everyone kind of felt like they were moving, running 63s, which which it is. Um, you talked about a week ago redlining a whole 10k or rather how you can't maybe really redline i feel like with a five it an elite five is much more like hey i'm kind of in that zone after 800 because i'm going out in like 205 you know 204 whatever it was i know you guys went out i think in like 30 uh and then kind of slowed up into the pace from there so when you're redlining like that when it's coming on early kind of what what are you focusing on what's going or i mean what are you focusing on in this race specifically too like what was going through your mind do you remember much of anything yeah um you know that kind of like you said the first 800 of a 5k you kind of get there and it's hard you know it's hard already Mm -hmm. and you still have yeah 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 you still have two and a half miles to go um which can feel like a really really long way especially if you look at the splits or or hear the splits um so i think that is a moment where you can easily get in your head um but after 800 I felt like we kind of settled into a rhythm. Um, I mean, it felt like we were moving really quickly, but um, it didn't didn't feel the same strain. I think didn't have the same excitement as the first 800, just because you're kind of settling in. Um, some 
uh, I think it was my, my college coach, uh, Coach Milt, that gave me this advice. But um, I'd run a, I was running a race. I think it was Pac-12 cross. And he wanted me to sit in the pack. Um, and he told me to, to be invisible was his advice. Um, and so I've, I've drawn on that many times. Just conserve energy. Don't waste any energy. Make whatever the pace is as easy as it possibly can um, because we're running hard. And don't jostle, jostle around. Don't, don't draw too much attention to yourself by doing all these things. Just sit there and relax or try to relax. <laughs> and uh, that's what I did for, for a good chunk of that middle race, just trying to, to use as little, little effort as possible, um, which, again, was still very high effort. But um, as you know, when you run a five, you don't want to dip too far over the line too early. Yeah. Um, you, you don't want to bury yourself because you can uh, and you can do it pretty easily. You just want to be ever so slightly underneath that point where things start to add up really quickly and it takes its toll and you tie up. So, yeah, just trying to ride that line. And uh, Kieran did a really good job as a rabbit, uh, took us pretty far. And then Woody took over and Woody started squeezing it down a little bit. <laughs> um, and honestly, I looked up and saw Woody at one point and I thought Woody was going to run away from the whole field. We were all thinking and maybe stay in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. He looked great. Um, and he was doing a great job just clicking off 62s. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously Woody is a sub 13 guy in himself. Um, so he can, he's been there before he's been in that situation before and he knows what those paces feel like. Um, so it was great to have him as a pacer, uh, but yeah, the dude looked incredible. Um, I definitely think he could have could have stayed in. I believe Woody took us to about 4K. Yeah, um, which is incredible for a rabbit. You know, that's besides Mo when he rabbited uh, when he rabbited Woody for his sub 13. I don't really, or I can't really think of a time when rabbits go further than 4K. He took so that 46, it, it a, right? Mo. Yeah, 4600 4, yeah. up a five. So it doesn't get much better than that. Um, but yeah, there was. There was moments where little gaps were being formed and you know we were probably about a mile out at that point when those little gaps were coming and those those things are so hard to cover those little gaps are so pesky they're they're really annoying when they open up and they you don't even notice them growing Mm. and then they're just there and it takes a real effort to try to squeeze them down um so i think the whole field was trying to just stay attached stay attached um i'd love your opinion on that actually really quick i know for me like when i feel a gap like that as soon as i notice it i need to go and make it up i don't know if maybe you if there's a way to be more patient with that in the second half of a race i just feel like for me when it works and when it doesn't is it works if i if i notice that there's a gap forming it's it's only going to form more unless i make this effort to reel it back are you maybe more patient than that do you recognize it'll kind of reform or are you trying to close it up right away yeah i would say my general like philosophy behind it if you could call it that the priority would be don't let the gap form in the first place Mm -hmm. um i mean obviously that that would be ideal but when they do form um yeah i could see you going hey close it immediately as soon as you notice it or i could also see um take it gradually bring yourself into it again and don't don't exert the mental energy of trying to flip a switch and use yeah. a gear then um, to use a 
to use a Mario Kart reference, you don't want to use your mushrooms too early. You know, if you use a mushroom to, to reattach to the pack, you're not going to have it at the latter stage of the race in your pocket. Um, so I, I would say I lean towards the, the slowly get it back yeah. in this situation. In a race, race situation, in a championship situation, I would lean more towards the, the close it quickly because someone will fly around you and take that spot. Um, you, you'd be more concerned about defending your position, you know, someone coming around your right-hand side and having to step out and block them in that situation. But for this one, we were pretty much all on the same page. I think nobody was going to make any wild moves. We were running fast enough that it'd be hard to make a wild move anyway. Um, I was trying to slowly bridge any gaps that formed. Yeah. And like you said, in a time trial situation that it makes sense, you know, especially when the pacers are still out there, you know what you're going in. I guess that, that does kind of make it a little bit, allow you to maybe panic a little bit less, you know, and, and stay <laughs> under control and know. Yeah. I guess, because I definitely have just abruptly bridged gaps and then gotten yelled at and been like, don't do that. But I, yeah, I think almost, yeah, what I mean is as soon as I'm aware the gap is forming, I do try to, I like do try to step on it. I just try to make sure that I'm immediately responding to it. And may, maybe, maybe it isn't closing it right away. I just think it's essential when you notice that start to happen that you, even if you don't bolt the entire thing up right away, you're pressing on the gas and you're like, okay, I, I do need to get this back. You know, I feel like waiting. I, you know, you have that thought. I don't know if you have that thought, but I have the thought of, oh, you know, I can just, I can take care of that in a little bit. Like, no, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, like you can't. It's only going to get bigger if you think like that. And like you said, you'll get, you'll get your spot just blown up in a race that isn't a time trial type thing if you do that. So no, no, but that, that's a good idea. You don't want to close it all up right away. You are going to burn that mushroom. We're a gamer podcast in case people didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's actually a topic I could talk about for a while. Like, and, and I won't now because we have other things to talk about, but um, I do think to like put it short and sweet, as soon as you you recognize a gap, you got to make a decision. Mm -hmm. Um, and the easiest way to make a decision is to have already made it. Um, so if going into the race, you, you know, like, Hey, no gaps. And if a gap forms, as soon as I recognize it, I'm going to close it no matter what. And this is how I'm going to close it. When it gets to the race, when you're tired, when you're fatigued, when your mind is telling you not to do those things, um, it's a lot easier to make those, the, the right decision, uh, because you already made it. Um, and you can just stick to that and, and execute that way. No, that, that is awesome. That goes back to that pre-race visualization you were just talking about. And I think for me, just to add one caveat on it is sometimes, you know, when you're running a PR pace and you know you're doing it, it's as simple as just being like, hey, I can close this gap right now. As in like, I, I have enough strength. I have enough mushroom in the tank, right? I have, <laughs> I have enough here right now where I can close this gap down. I can make this move. And I'm not going to worry about where that puts me in a couple laps. Cause I trust myself, you know, or even if I don't like, I'll, I'm just make, I'm making sure I'm going to be there in a couple laps by closing this down. Now, you know, you almost take it, you take it case by case. If you start thinking, oh, this gas for me and I have five laps left of this 5k, that is a very difficult spot to be in. But if you can think, okay, this gaps forming, and I'm just going to close this gap right now because I'm still okay. You know, I, I still, I'm still kind of in control and, and running all of a sudden you, you sometimes look up and you're at two to go. And now you've kind of done that part and and it's just it's kind of it's surprising almost you, you wake up and you're and you're there so yeah i just feel like taking it case by case and trying not to see a gap and think oh i have so long left because <laughs> that that is yeah. definitely not the move yeah i mean i feel like in general in a race 
the less you have to think and make decisions, the better. If you can put yourself in situations where you don't have to think, where you don't have to make all these decisions and weigh uh, the scenario in front of you, um, it's a lot easier to, to conserve energy and, and be there at the end and get dragged along to a faster pace. No, I, I love everything about that. I feel like that was something that we were taught a lot in college. Just you got to make those decisions well beforehand, what you're going to do in that moment. Yeah. And it seems like you made them on uh, on Saturday night. <laughs> when when Woody steps off the track, right, at, at 4K, uh, it seemed like no one was quite sure what was going to happen. Then Sean bolts into the front there um, and takes that 800 to 400 to go and just, just keeps it, like, right there. He kept it at, like, that 61, 62. But I feel like in the segment that he actually led, because it was kind of, it was maybe starting to slip a little bit going into 800 to go. It felt like that was probably like a 59 or 58, just in (laughs) in that, in that little period, how integral to everyone running that standard was that move with a little bit to go, like you not taking the lead and then being able to go with 400, like walk me through, you see him go, was that part of the plan or was it just, Hey, someone needs to step up and do this in the moment? Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, yeah, going into the race, we knew our rabbiting situation. Um, obviously, the two guys were on our team. We had talked a lot about it. Um, everyone was on the same page. Woody was going to try to go 4K, which he executed great and, and made it to 4K for us. Um, but Jerry made it clear before the race that whenever Woody drops out, whether that's at 3K, whether that's at 4,600, um, or I guess maybe this doesn't apply to 4,600, but... <laughs> 3K, 4K, one of Mark, Sean, or myself needs to take it and keep it on because it's easy to let it slip at that point. 4K into a 5K, you're tired. You're thinking about maybe the last lap already. You know, you're you're looking at the time maybe. You, you don't feel good. Um, and it's so easy to take your 63 rhythm that you had and just take the gas off a little bit and it turns into a 66 Yep. and you lose three seconds there. And those are so hard to get back. So hard to get those three seconds back. So, um, we knew that a, we needed to get out hard so that we could get right behind the rabbits. And I thought we did a good job of that. And then B when the rabbits step off, someone needs to take it and we need to either trade off or, or, or something. Uh, basically Jerry said like, figure it out amongst yourselves, but, um, someone needs to keep it on. We need to stay on the gas. And Sean went to the front and did exactly that. Such a good job, um, honestly. Yeah, he did exactly that. Squeezed it down. There, there were um, the pack started to open up a little bit more uh, because when Woody stepped off, we kind of bunched for a second. Yeah, that's um, what I saw. Yeah, we kind of bunched, and then Sean went to the front and kind of strung it back out. We got back into that rhythm. It was more of a smooth wind-up build to the finish. Um, and we didn't lose those like really, really important seconds, uh, in that period. Yeah. And Sean, Sean really, what he does so well when he's on is that kind of long build into the finish, right? It's, it's, it's how he is, how he won the 5k at NCAs. I remember my freshman year watching him at big meet in the 3k, he was like doubling back or something. And they were just like, all right, run like a two thirty last K. And I remember being like, at the end of the 3k how is he gonna like just make it smooth just make everything 30s and yeah i feel like he's he's so good at that and making that move in that moment 
I mean, I feel like you probably would have been able to kick and get that standard anyway. But like you said, keeping it there saves those seconds and allows for the guys in the field, including himself, to then get that standard, which, you know, check the box, as we kind of talked about a week ago. The win is great for you, but Sean also gets to walk out of there with the Olympic standard, like quite a few guys on the team and also some other guys, like on running guys. Uh, it just felt like such a pivotal move for someone to go do. So it's interesting to hear about kind of that philosophy behind it and and how it kind of worked itself out. Someone needed to do it, and Sean stepped up. He did a great job. Yeah, and then, you know, it's, it's interesting because, like, when you, when you go around him at 400 to go and Mark goes around, it, it felt for a second like Sean was potentially, like, toast. If that had been, like, a high school race or even a college race, you see that a lot where someone makes that hard middle move. And a lot of the time, maybe it's not teammates, so maybe there's a little bit less incentive to, to help. Maybe it's more, like going for the win and once you realize it's not going to happen you're, you're just cratering um which is not good but if it, it felt like watching that for a second you could almost trick yourself into thinking oh sean's gonna blow up like, like oh like he he went with that eight to four move and he's done and then watching i mean obviously you running a 55 last lap is is super impressive watching sean also bring that back and go 1306 when that could have easily been 1315 if he just like you know, cratered it or is like, okay, I'm not going to win. Obviously he wants to get that standard. So he's going to keep going, but to see him kind of, you know, close and, and, and what looks like just because of how you take off, like, Oh, he must've, he must've split that like really poorly. He still runs a 58 last lap. Right. Which, you know, isn't, is insane after that movie made like that's, I feel like that was a really special thing to you see on the pro level a lot where guys like are really good pros, right. They bring it back. They have like a professional close out to the race. You're not going to see them, crater that moment and then miss the purpose he's able to still make it a really really good finish yeah i think i think that's something kind of like you mentioned that a lot of pros are able to do but it's it's kind of hard to do when you're in high school or college when you realize you know and this has happened to me so many times when you realize (laughs) the race is is past you um to be able to go through your own gears cycle up and not just tie yourself up and and throw a pity party the last lap um that is incredibly hard to do and it takes a lot of time to figure out how to like not let those feelings of of uh i'm out of it compound um and and they can compound quick at the end of a race when you're tired already it's so easy to throw in the towel and say hey it's not my day i gave it i gave it everything i had um no no one's no one's going to be upset with me for this one. Like I went for it. Oh, that's such a thing though, too. Like, I feel (laughs) like there's, there's a good way to do it where you go for it. And if it doesn't work out, it's okay. But also sometimes I feel like, you know, I've probably been guilty of this when I was younger too, but you see it sometimes where guys make an aggressive move and it's almost like, okay, well, if it doesn't work out now, I made the aggressive move and no one's going to get mad. And that's true. Maybe no one will get mad, but still let it slip a little bit, maybe too much or maybe than what you could have. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, that, that even brings brings it back to my two prior races. Mark kicked me down both times. Um, and yeah, I was tired. Yeah, I could tell I was tying up and that Mark was motoring past me. But I was trying to work on and to practice cycling through my gears, not just sinking like a stone. Maybe I made uh, a mistake by, you know, trying to hit the gas too quickly or something and realizing that in the moment. But trying not to let those mistakes compound. I feel like that that is a really important piece that I'm still trying to work on. Um, you make mistakes in races. 
that's just how it is. Nobody runs a perfect race every single time, but not letting those mistakes compound and not throwing in the towel when you're dead tired is really, really difficult to do. So um, definitely a skill I'm working on. Um, yeah, I mean, Sean ran a great time. And as we talked about in, in previous weeks, sure, I ran a little bit quicker than Sean, but Sean walks to the trials with the exact same status as me. Yep. You know, I, I don't get a head start because I've run faster. Um, nobody really cares as long as there's a little box next to your name and it says has the Olympic standard and it's checked. Um, That's a lot of words yeah. to fit into a box, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, we talked about this uh, for quite a bit, but yeah, getting a fast time is, is awesome. It's March. Um, but the biggest event in our sport is the Olympics and making that U S team is still our focus. So, um, we're not, we're not looking ahead of, of where we are and, and saying like, Hey, Hey Sean, like we just ran so fast. Like we did it, you know, <laughs> there's still so much work to do. Um, and like, like Kirbel Arasa, for example, he ran 13, 12. Yep. That means the same as what I ran in my mind. He walks to the starting line and, and if he's top three, he makes the team. If I'm top three, I make the team. It doesn't matter what we did in March. Yeah. And then talking about what you're saying, which I love, you know, like not thinking like a stone going through the gears, dude, every trials, every Olympics, multiple distance races, three people get medals and three people make the team. And I know everyone wants to win, of course. But also, I feel like so often, go watch all those races, which I'm sure you have, right? Trials races or, or even Olympics races. Dude, there's always people who outkick people for bronze. Like, there's always someone who went out and then someone else who, you know, with 400 to go, maybe realized, I'm not going to win and is in fourth or fifth or whatever and goes through their gears and is on the podium because of it. And I uh, and you see that with trials, too, where it's it's really much more like it doesn't matter if you're first or third at trials, except that, like, you you know, maybe a contract bonus or you win USA's. You're going to the games. You you so I feel like you've got to be able to work through your own gears to the line and not get caught up, because if you get caught up and then all of a sudden you're sinking, you're toast immediately. So many great examples of that. But, yeah, that's that's a valuable thing to, to learn in running. Um, you're not going to win every race. And if you're. If you're racing the right people, then you shouldn't win every race. Um, yeah. So it's an important skill to be able to 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 run your best even when you're not winning. Definitely. And so you know, last last two fifty, I feel like you put it into just another stratosphere with the turnover. Um, probably not thinking that much, but did did it feel like just that like glass feeling of just like I'm just. I'm just rolling or was it, Hey, I'm focusing on form or no, I feel like I'm tying up. <laughs> um, I was trying not to tie up. Um, <laughs> fair. Uh, but yeah, it felt like I was moving. Um, but I knew Mark was right behind me. <laughs> I had no idea exactly where he was, but I knew he was behind me. And you know, Mark has been lights out. He closes uh, so races. well. Yeah. Yeah. The guy can close. And so I was thinking, man, I need to, keep my form i need to keep driving ahead and mark i I was thinking mark will probably come up on my shoulder at some point (laughs) and i need even when that happens no panic i need to just keep driving and uh like like we've mentioned mentioned going through my gears um and yeah i felt 
I felt just a lot of power that last kind of 250. It's tough to tell like exactly how quick you're moving, but I knew I was I was going hard um, from quite a ways out. So um, yeah, I, I was so, so happy with it. Um, came through the line and saw that I had the time and saw that all my teammates had the time. Um, and it was a really cool feeling. Um, and again, I'll, I'll shout out again, Woody and Kieran. Um, very infrequently do you see a sub 13 guy willingly rabbit other guys to a standard that don't have a standard that you will have to compete against yeah, yeah actually uh to make a team later that's totally fair i hadn't thought of that it, it's it's literally increasing your competition at trials but that's a super cool team dynamic yeah yeah so i'm definitely grateful for those guys um they did a really great job yeah so kind of moving off of the race itself you know you mentioned in the beginning of the pod this is kind of a end to the little racing block uh how how did you consider these last couple of weeks yeah um yeah, I was I was so happy with this tri- this racing block, um, and it was coming off of my best altitude camp yet. Um, you know, one interesting thing that I, Connor and I had talked about was we kind of just started this podcast in the middle of this little racing cycle, um, and both races have gone very well for me, um, and I've been stoked about it. Um, but part of wanting to create this podcast was to kind of show the lead up. I do wish we had this podcast like a year ago, you know, my first year as a pro, um, you know, I was getting slapped around in workouts and was tired literally until this past, uh, altitude camp in Flagstaff, I'd done three camps with the team and I had never finished a workout at camp. I had never been able to, to complete the entire assigned workout. Either I get dropped, and end up running slower, or Jerry would pull the plug on me and pull me off the track. Until two and a half months ago, I had not finished any prescribed workout that Jerry had given us at camp. So Holy it would be it would have been really cool to to have this podcast back then, you know, documenting those those struggles. Because so far the podcast has been, you know, oh that was great, like that was so fun. Congrats on your world number one time. <laughs> Yeah, which yeah. is not realistic. That's not how it works. Um, there's so much yeah. that goes into these things. So um, thankfully, we'll be, be able to share that going forward. But I do think that's something important to touch on. You know, these things take a while. Um, and when things go well, it's important to appreciate them. But also, it's important to realize that there's going to be struggles going forward, too. You know, the, the struggles that led into a successful little racing block here um, there will be struggles down the line that lead to other racing blocks. So, um, it's cool that we'll be able to, to, you know, share that with anyone that wants to listen. Um, but I, I do think that was an important piece that, that people should realize. Um, to your second point, uh, we are going back to training. Uh, Jerry is very excited to have us start working out hard again. Um, I don't know. It's, it's Monday right now. So we're two days removed from the race. So, uh, he, Jerry hasn't really said what our workout's going to look like on Tuesday, but, um, I know he's excited to, to get us, uh, to get us whipped, whipped up into some, some even better shape. Um, so that's what we have in the short term. And then 
I don't know about any races in the next little bit. We'll be going to altitude camp sometime in April, most likely. Um, and we'll be staying up there probably until the trials. Uh, and there'll potentially be some races sprinkled in. Um, but it's, it's a great feeling and a weight off my shoulders having two standards um, going into the months leading up to the trials. Just knowing that I don't have to chase those things anymore. Um, I don't have to worry about points anymore. Uh, I just have to think about showing up to the trials as, as my best self, healthy and ready to go. Yeah, as someone with zero standards, I'm pretty jealous. <laughs> of you have to. <laughs> Would Jerry have you guys potentially like rip tomorrow then? I don't know if that's disclosable <laughs> information, but the way you described like don't know what's in store for Tuesday. I mean, after this, you know, you just ripped obviously on Saturday. Yeah, I, I would be very surprised if we had a hard workout tomorrow. Um, yeah. I, I don't know exactly what Jerry has in mind. Um, we didn't work out on the Tuesday after the 10K. Um, so I guess that's on the table. Um, a moderate or light workout could be on the table. But um, there's a reason he's the coach and I'm not. So I, <laughs> I, I have no idea what's coming. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've, I highly doubt Jerry will ever listen to this podcast, but... Um, yeah, I, I don't really know. And I don't want to speculate too much either. Um, just not, not to, to speculate for other people, but just speculate for, for my own mental state. Um, Jerry usually doesn't tell us the workout until moments before we actually start the workout. And I find that speculating too much about what it's going to be or how hard it's going to be or how easy it's going to be only just leads you to trouble. So I, I usually just assume the workout's going to be really hard. <laughs> and then if it is really hard, then I'm ready for it. And if it's easier, then uh, it's a nice surprise. Dude, so moving away from your race, because it wasn't the only thing that went down this weekend, my team, your, you know, your alum, alumnus, alum, you're, you're, you're the school you went to, uh, Stanford. My alma mater. Um, Dude, I want to edit that out, but we're not going to. We're going to do it live. <laughs> um, <laughs> a little bit of behind the scenes there if we leave that whole thing in. That's, that's good. Uh, our, your alma mater, my current school, Stanford, sweeping Pac-12s up in Washington, man. That was uh, – I'm sure you're pumped as an alum watching that. I was super pumped for the guys. Obviously, you shared a team with a good amount of them. Uh, first time a team had swept that meet, I think, since 2010 is what Coach Clark told us tonight. So that was super exciting. How did you feel? You watched the race? Oh yeah, I watched it live. Uh, secured a Pac-12 Network login to watch. Um, we actually watched at the meet. A few of the Bowerman people watch, but um, yeah, dude, so impressive. Uh, made me so happy to see as as an old alum of the program, <laughs> so and um, yeah, really great to see. You know, we had some some young guys kind of pushing ahead at the at the front of the race, and um, people that weren't afraid. And there's some really cool pictures of. Uh, as some some of the Stanford people said, you know, a sea of red at the front, mm. um, which is really cool, um, kind of reminiscent of some of those old Stanford teams in the early 2000s, um, in which uh, allegedly this was Stanford's lowest uh, combined spread since 2003, uh, from 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 my sources. Sources, sources um, indicate, <laughs> and. Uh, I mean, in 2003, 2004, Stanford men were incredible. Um, definitely those were teams that we looked up to when I was at Stanford definitely. Um, as, as far as the model for depth and uh, for, for just a team mentality. 
Um, but yeah, man, how was everyone feeling leading up to that race? Like, uh, what was the team sentiment going in? What did people think that they could do at, at Pac-12s? Just kind of walk me through what, what everyone was feeling. I think, you know, we won, or I guess we won the first meet and we were second NAU at, at the second one in Vegas. And I feel like the guys were pretty confident in uh, our depth. We've had this really great pack. You know, Cole and Charles have been up front in the meets. And then we've had this really great, like, depth pack right behind them that's been made up of anywhere from, like, three to, like, six guys, depending on the meet. Um, and not even the same guys every time. And that's been really cool to see this mixture of young and old dudes on the team. I think that we knew that that depth was going to put us in a really good spot at Pac-12, so that those guys could all be around that top 10 spot, and that would probably be enough to secure it, especially if Charles and Cole were up there. And that is how it ended up working out. Uh, I think they're excited to get the trophy back. I mean, that's always, yeah, I don't know. It's been a crazy year, and that's what Coach Santos was saying on Monday. It's been a crazy year, and, like, I don't know. It it, it feels good to, to cap things off in a year that everyone's gone through a lot, uh, and we're no different. And it just, I feel like these championship parts of the season that are rolling around, it, it, they're a little bit sweeter on all sides. I'm sure you like running a good time. Similarly, like, you know, having, having this COVID layoff and everything going on with that has made that return even sweeter, you know, because of the delay there. And I feel like the guys felt similarly, you know, we waited a little bit longer. I think it benefited us. We had, you know, a lot of freshmen up there scoring freshmen and guys with freshman eligibility and, uh. I think more time you have in college is always going to be helpful in cross country, especially. So it was cool to see that. It was cool to see our top guys, cool to see all of our guys running with a lot of courage and heart. I feel like that's something that we have really been trying to embody. You know, obviously you don't want to fail or blow up, but at the same time, you're not going to find out you know, what you got unless you, I guess, unless you try. So it's cool to see, for example, like Charles and Cole going out, having so many guys, um, DJ and AP, and so many of those guys leading that like, you know, pack over there for the first UK and hanging in there really well. So, yeah, I mean, all in all, boys are boys are pumped about that. Nationals is, you know, on Monday. So excited for them to keep it rolling there, and then I'll rejoin them in outdoor and, and move from that. So, yeah, that was everyone was really stoked, but I think that there's also just a sense of, oh, you know, the mission isn't over, and, you know, we got another one coming up in a few days. Yeah, man. Um I, that was a really great point you made about some of these younger guys, freshmen, sophomores, having a little extra time to prepare for a cross-country season, you know, where they'd normally be racing Pac-12s maybe at the end of October. Um, oh, yeah. I, I hadn't really thought about that. You know, just, just being in that college environment, college training for a little bit longer um, does seem like it's paid dividends for them. And, uh, yeah, an awesome – Awesome result for the the new coaching staff. Uh, I guess they aren't super new anymore, but um, <laughs> the the coaching staff is clearly doing a good job and um, bringing the team together at, at the right times. You know, this is when you want to start uh, starting to fine tuning or start to fine tune things a bit. So um, definitely props to them. And uh, yeah, uh, a happy alum sitting over here for sure. I I, I do also feel like these. Uh... These freshmen and freshman eligible guys, these younger guys, they were going to be ready no matter what, though. We've got a really good crew. Yeah. And, yeah, I'm sure it benefited them, and I think it did benefit us, but those guys were always going to be ready to perform. So it's sick to see them do it, but they've been ready for a while to get a shot, um, which is awesome to see. You know, we always used to talk about pushing from the bottom, right? That was kind of like no matter what guy you were on the team, you you had to held yourself to a certain standard and kind of motivated the guy in front of you to, to keep pushing a certain way. And I feel like – 
these guys pushing from the bottom in terms of age or seniority on the team has really woken well not woken up i mean we were all motivated and still rolling but has really inspired i think the the older guys as well to to, to dream big still which is which is awesome to see so yeah um cool to win the women got it done as well with some truly heroic efforts yeah uh that was sick yeah man not not to overlook what the women did either they did a no. great job uh again great team running ella did a great job um you know that's oh, that that's so hard to do too, when you we see a big a big gap that you know you have to make up um and she so was running alone for quite a while so gutsy. yeah that was such a gutsy performance that was sick um i talked to her today she said she actually had a lot of fun doing that she was like yeah result wasn't one of it like that was really fun <laughs> i was like that's sick that means you trust your fitness and where you're at you know if you're enjoying reeling people in or you know like you feel confident and secure in that that's so she's in a really good spot as well um as those girls are so yeah all in all i think they're pumped uh leaving in a couple days for oklahoma yeah i'm excited to watch well grant i feel like it's been a really i don't know i I hope people learned a lot in this episode i know i did even just talking to you so hopefully we got some good perspective on the race for everyone and for pac-12s and the whole deal i uh We've, we've gotten some really good listener questions, and that's definitely something that both of us are really looking forward to addressing. But obviously with races being the main focus the last couple episodes, I think we'll we'll push it back a week just because we're already running up on almost an hour, I feel like, of record time, uh, if that's cool with you. Yeah, yeah, that, that's cool with me. I mean, also keep those questions coming. Um, we've gotten some yes. really good ones for both Connor and I. Um, so we'll, we'll be sure to answer those. Um, in, in some future pods but yeah we, we kind of got rambling today so uh probably don't have like the time to fully fully answer some of those questions yeah and we, you know, we had a lot to focus on a lot of stuff happened uh you ran a world number one time in the 5k it's I mean, <laughs> you know things happen uh also halfsteppod at gmail.com is where you can email them uh we have an instagram account just search it or just dm grant directly <laughs> offer still stands <laughs> we still have you know he'd, he'd love he'd love to talk i uh <laughs> putting words in your mouth there but i feel like before we uh before we get out of here though i do i do want to ask you something really important are the pistons the worst team in the nba detroit native <laughs> not detroit native detroit detroit lo- locally in the area f- flint <laughs> native grant fisher <laughs> yeah um to answer your question yes the pistons are the worst team in the league uh unfortunately and fortunately um i think we're doing the old uh 76ers tank right now although i think they did it a little more intentionally than we're doing right now they had a plan uh but i think it'll work out um a nice step i think they took recently is they're they're gonna buy out blake griffin's contract apparently uh finally get rid of that guy big development yeah um yeah a a little context i grew up watching the pistons um yeah i was let's see seven years old when they won uh the title in 04 um arguably the greatest basketball team ever assembled Uh, arguably (laughs) certainly an arguable point people Uh, might want to argue with you about that um but yeah i mean big ben Rashid Wallace, Tayshawn, Chauncey, like that whole crew rip. That was was the team that I saw when I was a kid, and I was like, those guys are awesome. Um, That is not the team that we currently have. Right now we just have a bunch of random centers 
and Blake Griffin, <laughs> um, who we overpaid for and continue to overpay for. Um, but yeah, I I think things are looking up for the Pistons. Just got to give them uh, the rest of the year to tank. Um, I don't even know if they have 10 wins yet. They might have 10 exactly. I think they have exactly 10. Yeah, if, I'm, pretty, if Google is telling the truth. <laughs> pretty brutal. But Worst team in the East. Yeah, I think I think things are looking up. Going to have great lotto odds in the draft. Yeah. Could, oh. are they still, they're still doing lottery, yeah. Could strike it big there. Could strike it big. Pistons have a history of being terrible at <laughs> drafting people. Um, so well, yeah. I, I don't want to get my yeah. hopes up too much. But um, honestly, I'd rather see him in last right now than like middle of the pack fighting out for like just missing the playoffs and then just repeating are the you cycle. Sub- are you subtweeting me right now? <laughs> yeah. Because that's, Charlotte- that's been the Hornets' life for the last what 10 15 years hey, pistons have I, been there too ever since that team we broke were usually up. yeah i should okay i'm from north carolina charlotte hornets fan uh not as big a fan as them as maybe i am of like the hurricanes and the panthers but still for the purposes of nba it's got to be the team i feel like the hornets and the pistons have spent the last 10 years fighting for the eight seed to get swept by like lebron's heat in the first <laughs> round or lebron's Cavs in the first round of the playoffs uh, yeah, and we're still currently there we're in seventh right now Speaking of overpaying players, we got Terry Rozier hitting bu- buzzer beaters for us. Just I saw he did that, which was exciting. But then, you know, next game you let the Portland Trailblazers put up a NBA record and made three-pointers <laughs> on you and lose by, like, 20. So up and down. I think we're going to do that classic, get the eight seed, get swept by, like, a good Sixers or Nets team and get a bad draft pick and just kind of move forward with that. I, uh, I looked through, dude. We haven't played each other yet at all the nba just they were doing some weird stuff with the scheduling now we're queued up to go like four or five times after the all-star break oh, so we'll get the games that we're not gonna bet on because <laughs> i am in the nca and cannot do that but we'll definitely maybe some like gentlemen's wagers on the line yeah although also i'll have to give you odds because the pistons are the hornets are not good but the pistons are trash. <laughs> it's, it's a dumpster fire over there it's disappointing to see it it is disappointing, um, but I'm hoping it can only get better because they're. It can only get. <laughs> it can almost only get better. It cannot get much worse. I uh, I guess you know looking future apps, we should probably like allow people. Like, hey, you know this is the end of the running part of the podcast. You can turn yeah. it off. <laughs> like, yeah, it, it's fine. You don't need to listen all the way through uh, <laughs> if we're gonna rant about this. Yeah, probably a good point. Yeah, I wouldn't be offended yeah. if anyone just turns this off right now. No, we don't even really know what we're talking about. <laughs> I don't I don't know enough about the specifics. It's just LaMelo Ball might be the best young player in the league. I don't know. <laughs> he, I mean, he could be. Maybe not yet. He could be. It's coming. He could be rookie of the year. Next yeah, few that's years. True. You go Ben Simmons. <laughs> yeah, make some shots too. That'd be... Yeah. Be, he's got he's got some potential. I don't know. It's not all doom and gloom. Although I feel like as long as MJ is still owning the franchise, we might never get a player better than MJ on the team. I don't mean MJ in his prime. I mean like MJ <laughs> coming down from the orange booth right now and going one on one with the guys. Yeah, we might not. Maybe if Levar came out, but I don't know if that's happening. <laughs> Dude, now that they they have they're a lot closer to putting on that that one on one that Levar yeah. wanted. Now that they're actually in the same area, kind of. I don't know. Dang, well, on that note, is there anything else that we missed? I feel like we, we hit a good portion there. No, I, I think this was a, a good second episode. Yeah, only two episodes. I feel like we've been doing this for years, man. <laughs> this, the chemistry, it's, it's undeniable. Um, 
thank you everyone for listening. I, uh, I hope you all got something out of it and we should be back. Well, yeah. Anything coming up this week that people need to know about? Um, no, this week, just dropping this pod. Um, I think I'm going to hop on the Sidious Mag pod uh, later this week, or at least we're recording later this week. I'm not exactly yeah. sure when they'll release it, but um, looking forward to that. Chatting with Chris Chavez. Um, should be good talk. If, if uh, after you listen to this, you want to head over to, to their podcast and give them a listen to. Yeah, if you like this, then you'll definitely like that, I assume. Yeah, uh, yeah well, thank you all for listening. And uh, we'll see you next